If you don't know anything about Wellhouse, maybe you got drugged here this morning by somebody that promised you lunch, and, or you just kind of wandered in or passing by and said, hey, I haven't been to church in a while. Let me tell you a little bit about who we are. Uh, we are a community of imperfect people, and uh, we believe that God is authoring each of our stories. But right now, in this moment, I want you to know it's okay to be imperfect. So if you're feeling like, hey, I don't have it all together. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be here. I'm not sure if I'm welcomed here. I just want you to know you are in welcomed company. Uh, we believe that God, again, is taking us on a journey, and he's doing that individually for each of us. He's authoring our stories. He's, he's building in curiosities. He's building in questions that lead toward uh, revelation and, and commitment and, and relationship and all those sorts of things. But for this moment, I just want you to know you're in welcome space. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about us as well. We had something pretty cool that happened this last week. Uh, Wednesday, a team of people went over and uh, served at Gateway Elementary in their field day. And so if you didn't see it on uh, our social media, go back and look. Uh, uh, it's an opportunity that we always take every spring where we go out and we play water games and we just facilitate uh, all sorts of stuff for them. And it's one of the ways that we love to give back. And so if you don't know anything about Wellhouse, know that we are a wildly generous church and we love to take those opportunities to serve. We love to take opportunities to give back. We love to, to just do that with no strings attached. And so that's kind of who we are. And so I say all that to, to kind of introduce you to something. We have been for a while trying to put together a team to help us even do more in the community. And uh, our staff is still part-time, and so we're trying to facilitate at the capacity that we can, and, and we rely a lot on volunteers. That's, again, our DNA is to empower you, empower uh, people that uh, aren't on staff to do and take and lead. And so we've been working for a while on an outreach team, and this outreach team is really about facilitating several different areas of help. We get requests sometimes from the community for financial help, and you guys always go above and beyond on everything that is ever been needed uh, financially. Sometimes we get spiritual help, like, hey, I just need some help spiritually. Sometimes we, we have requests for emotional help, like, listen, I'm really going through some things. And so we wanted to develop an outreach team that could, could be the initial taker of all those things and then disperse them out into the needed areas. And the reason I'm telling you all this is I want you to know this team exists, and I want you to know who's on this team, and I want you to know how to get a hold of this team. So if something on a Sunday morning arises and somebody needs something, you can go, hey, let me find these people, or here's an email through the week, or I've got a neighbor, I've got somebody that's a coworker. Uh, this is how you get a hold of them. You just email wellhouse, all no spaces, wellhousehelp, H-E-L-P, at gmail.com. And here's who's going to get those. This team is made up of Lisa Rich, who is right here. Yep, that's her daughter. Um, Lisa Rich, uh, Christy Ricker, who is in the back, Jimmy Cummings, and then Mark Tucker, who is also, uh, he is out west on vacation. So I tell you all that to say, use these, as re use these people as resources uh, so that we can continue, whether it's at a field day at a school, whether it's serving uh, in a variety of ways on a house party Saturday that we do, whether it is at uh, a special time of year where we do things collectively or just an ordinary Sunday, an ordinary Monday or Tuesday when somebody comes along your path that needs help and you go, I don't even know where to start start with our outreach team. And so uh, also you can go and get those emails from the uh, newsletter as well. Sound good? So I know that's a little bit more information than we normally start with, but I really wanted to um, let you know about this team. All right, we're going to finish up Rooted today. So I'm going to pray over us and then uh, we'll get started. Father, we just pray that this morning you would use these next few minutes to continue to a 
to allow us to evaluate who we are and who you've created us to be and how it is that you're working in our lives. And then you also allow this to be an equipping moment where we begin to equip ourselves with things that maybe we have neglected, maybe things we didn't even realize we had, maybe things that we had and used to use but uh, have found very little use. God, I pray that you equip us with encouragement, that, you, God, you would, you would allow us to leave here feeling empowered, that you would leave, we would leave this space more in love with who you are and what your church is about and how you've called us to be a part of that, and you've allowed us, as Zach said, through this, this sacrifice of your son, you've allowed us into this space that's not just a space of, 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 of authority, but a space of, of relationship. And so, Father, I just pray today that you would use these next few minutes as we finish up this little short series on Rooted to continue to evaluate our hearts and continue to step in to the calling in which you've called. So, Father, just use me today. I pray that, God, everything that comes out of my mouth is of you, that points to you, and, and that you allow those things to begin to work through us. So, Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to catch up. If you haven't been here, we've spent the last few weeks uh, talking about what it means to be rooted. And so hopefully what you've done over the last few weeks, and if you haven't been here, that's fine. You can go back, to listen. You can go back and listen. If you haven't been here, you'll still make sense of today. You don't have to have heard the other two parts. But what we've done is we've begun to evaluate what it looks like to grow, to be rooted, because life uproots us easily. There are moments in life where something comes along and we find ourselves completely uh, just out of sorts. We're uprooted. And so Paul has this prayer found in this letter uh, written to a church in, in Ephesus called Ephesians. And right in the middle of this, he says, I want to pray for you as individuals. I want to pray for you collectively that you begin to be rooted and established. And so what we're hopefully beginning to see is that God, through this inner, he's, he calls it the spirit that is within our inner being, gives us strength and power. And we said, what would it look like if if I was able to step into some area of life where I feel weak with a little bit more strength, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more power. And he says, I'm going to pray that God through his spirit that's at work in your inner being supplies that to you. He also says, I pray that you become rooted and established in love. What a novel idea, right? He says, it's a love that's two ways. It's a love that you get to live into, but it's also a love that you get to go live out. He said, it's a love that allows you, no matter, he uses these words, no matter how deep or long or wide, all those kinds of things. He said, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. There's no space too far out, too high, too deep, too wide, too long that you're, you're, you can't be captured by the love of God. And then he says, now go and begin to live out that as you live as a recipient of this love. Now go and be a, a, a disperser of that love. And so there are people in our lives that we're going to encounter that we think sometimes might be too long or too far gone, too deep. He says, no, no, remember those things. I pray that you are just enthralled by this love. And then he says, I want you to, and we talked about this last week, he says, I, I'm going to pray that you become filled to the full measure of God. I sat in the back this morning as we were setting up and kind of winding down and just talked with someone about the magnitude of that very statement, that I, this imperfect being, who have already at 1037 made all sorts of mistakes in my mind and in my heart, can be filled to the fullness of God the Creator. And when I began to let that sink in, I began to, to not just feel a bit of accountability, but I began to feel empowered. I began to feel as if I can conquer things that aren't in the realm of my possibilities to conquer because God fills me to the full measure of himself. 
And he says, and all of this is pointing us to something. It's pointing that we begin to give glory to God in all that we do. So as we live strengthened, as we live out and in this love, as we begin to be filled with this full measure of God, he says, all of this is for the God's glory. And we've talked a lot about the last two weeks, what that looks like individually for you and for you as, as a couple or for you as a family, for you individually. But the question that we're going to kind of end with today is what does that look like for us collectively as the church? See, after all, this, this was a letter to a church, and it was encouraging them, these people in Ephesus. And Paul's saying, I want to encourage you throughout the entire letter. He says, I want to encourage you to live differently differently in the midst of a culture that might or might not receive it positively, in the midst of a culture that might not immediately grab onto it or recognize the value. He says, I want to encourage you to live in such a way that in time, within the midst of your culture, that that it would be undeniable your purpose and your calling and your love for humanity. And I want to say before we get into the text, guys, I love the church with all my heart. I I, I go out of the way to defend it. I go out of the way to serve it. Guys, everything I do as a pastor, as a minister, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I strive to set the church up for a win. I hate seeing at times the church seemingly fail at something. I don't like black eyes and, and everything I can do, I try to push and, and move and maneuver. Everything I do, whether it's in my own personal life or as a leader, I want the church to win because I love the church. I try to put it on a pedestal displaying its authenticity. I, I love to, to tell people of its necessity. I hate when people say, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus or spirituality. I have a problem with church. And I'm going, no, no, let, let, me, let me introduce you to what the church really is. And I'm sorry that it may appear and look, but can I, can I show you a different glimpse? Not a perfect church, but I love to, to, to push people toward its necessity of community because I feel at times that we live in a culture that feels a lot like the fast and furious. Last week, Lori and I, we vacationed down in Orlando. I don't even know why we called it a vacation because I came back more tired than I went. Uh, but nonetheless, we, we went down to Orlando. If you know anything about Orlando, you can kind of pick what it is that you're going to be involved in. You can do the Disney thing. You can kind of do golfing things. Or you can do universal things. Well, I had seen a commercial about a, a month or two ago as hockey was really going. I saw a commercial for Universal, and I said, that's what we're going to do. Because this year they released a new ride called the Fast and Furious. And guys, I'm going to be honest. I love the Fast and Furious. I've seen all 82 movies. (laughs) There are times that I get in in Lori's little Honda CRV and I become Dom. It was real fun when she had a challenger because then I could actually kind of be Dom. But I have these moments where I just feel the need for fast and to be furious. It's always in my blood. I won't tell you how many speeding tickets I've had. I've had none recently. But guys, I love the speed of all this. I even like Tokyo Drift, and who liked it, right? But I love the fast and furious. So when I saw that Universal was going to do a ride that was not just a roller coaster, but was going to visually allow me into the space to participate in, as Dom calls it, this family, I was over the top ready to go. I counted down the days. We were going on Wednesday, and so I get there, and and I kind of bore through a Justin Timberlake concert on Friday. And if you know me well, you know that's a lie, because I love that dude. And so, 
On, on Monday, we did that. On Tuesday, we played around to golf and went to the beach, I think. But Wednesday was the day. So we get there, we get up way earlier than we should have, we get to the gate before it opens, we make sure everything's in line, we make sure we're in the front of the line, and when the gate opened, you know where we ran, right? We ran straight to the fast and furious. And so we're walking through, and if you've been to Universal, you know they do all this decor that kind of puts you in the, in the mood, in the setting, in the place before you even get to the actual ride itself. And so we're walking through, and I'm seeing all this, and I'm like, this is awesome. And so we get inside, and they put us in this like van, and the van moves along, and there's these screens that come around. And then I had this moment as it, you kind of turn this last little curve. Thank you for riding. Please watch your step. And I went, that's it? And if you followed me on social media that day, you know that I was highly upset. I walked out and went, that sucked. I'm glad I didn't wait more than six minutes in line for that. It was such a letdown. It was that moment where I had anticipated it being something so much more, and it wasn't at all what it was advertised to be. The only thing that was worse than the acting in some of the film was the ride itself. And I went, wow, what I was looking for, I didn't find it here. And I wonder sometimes if people feel that way about church. I wonder if sometimes the church culture that has been created throughout American history especially, I wonder if the overall church experience just leaves a lot of our culture going, meh. It was billed as something else, but I didn't really experience that. I wonder if sometimes we live in a society where church is becoming less and less important, less valued as it exists in so many forms, and people are becoming more and more skeptical. I wonder if they just leave like the Fast and Furious and go, huh, it was novel, but it wasn't what it was billed to be. Now, I just want to tell you before I start in this text, guys, I'm hopeful, I'm excited. Because I believe that God is creating revival. I believe that God is doing something spectacular. And before we go any farther, I want you to know that I absolutely, without any doubt, love our church, but I love the church. And this is not in any way as we talk through this text today through the lens of evaluating our participation in this body, in this church. I want you to know that it is in no way an indictment. It is an encouragement to continue to answer the call of being genuine light in the midst of a changing culture and how it sees church. And I'm going to tell you, I'm excited for the future. And I'm excited primarily because of what I've witnessed God do through a church over the last three and a half years. I'm excited about these things. I believe that, 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 that revival again is approaching, but I also believe that evaluation along the way is important. So today, like the last two weeks, we've been evaluating ourselves. Today, we're going to evaluate church. See, I'm not afraid of it disappearing. I, I, I hear people all the time like, you know, the church is declining. It's just going to disappear. And I'm going, no, it's not. I'm not afraid of, of extinction because Jesus said himself in Matthew, he said, I'm establishing my church. And he says, nothing's going to prevail against it. He even goes as far as to say, not even the gates, the realm of hell, Hades, will prevail against it. So I'm not worried about extinction. What I'm afraid of is this. I'm more concerned about stagnation. 
I'm more concerned about irrelevancy, becoming socially disposable. And let's face it, a lot of people believe there's a lot better ways to spend a Sunday morning. And so how do we begin to, 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 to work within this and be, a, be above these things and begin to safeguard? I, I hear people say, well, it doesn't seem to be making a lot of difference anyway. And, and if anything, there's, there's some that view it negatively because of hurt or because in some area of life it, it has failed them or what they know as it has failed them, or it's made things worse. There's been moments throughout history that it didn't stand in gaps for the people that it's called to love and the people that it's called to serve, the people it's called to protect and minister to. And so we look at that and go, I'm just not sure. And at best, there's a mixed bag of emotion in light and in view of the church. And it's not all bad. It's not all negative. It's not all doom and gloom. I think there's a lot of people, just like the ones we talked about that have this skepticism, that are looking for reasons to believe and think differently, to look something, looking for something to believe in and belong to. We set on a delay Friday for about an hour and a half longer than we should have in Orlando trying to catch our flight back. And I got to listen and be a part of listening to this beautiful conversation that happened behind me. It started off kind of weird, I'll be honest. This guy was talking about his cats, and he was worried about leaving his cats too long. And, and uh, I'm like, that's why I have dogs, like, like cat people I don't get. Uh, anyway, you cat people, you know I love you. But um, So I thought, this is kind of weird. He was talking really, really loud. But I watched this conversation shift, and it was between an older gentleman and a young girl, and, and they didn't know each other. They weren't traveling together. But apparently she must have had a shirt on that had something to do with a church somewhere, and so he began to strike up a conversation. And I watched this, this story unfold. And I listened in as he told the heartbreak and failure and his experience with church as he had known it. And I watched this young lady who probably was in her early to mid-20s share with him her experience. And her experience was so much different than what he had experienced. And this is what he said. He said, I'm so excited that you're experiencing something better than I did. You've given me hope. And she says, don't stop looking. So guys, this is not a young thing or an old thing. And so with that in mind, I want to be a leader that constantly and regularly evaluates ourselves to make sure that we're continuing to walk in line with and staying focused on Jesus, his vision for his church. And so let me just tell you, we're not going to run from culture. No, we're going to follow the lead. We're going to follow the lead of Jesus. And as rooted people, we will continue to chase after and build a church in a church culture that glorifies God, but at the same time continues to focus on and display the values and the characteristics of Jesus toward people and his creation. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 4, let me just backtrack just a touch if you haven't been here. Paul concludes this prayer that's kind of right in the middle. You think he would start with a prayer, end with a prayer, but it's almost like in the midst of, of a thought. He says, I'm going to just stop and pray. But he comes out of this prayer. Let me just read to you the prayer to kind of set this up. Starting in verse 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and in earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And, then, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together. There's, there's the church concept of this, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure, to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Now, moving into today's text, look at this. As a prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here's what he says. Then, in light of this prayer, then I want you to go and I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received or have been called with. Paul says, listen, now that you are growing, as you are becoming rooted, as you are gaining confidence, as you are gaining empowerment, as you are stepping into this life that has opened up so many doors and opportunities to, 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 to be strengthened, to live out love, to live within love, to be filled to the full measure. He says, then, here's what, what this is all pushing toward. It's pushing toward you living a life that is worthy of the calling. He says the call, the expectation is that you start living out the life collectively together, the calling collective with purpose. And so the question this morning is this, are we, as we begin to evaluate ourselves, are we, you and us collectively as well, house, living? Or are we just existing? You say, well, I need a little more information. What's that look like? Well, Paul reveals that. He says, let me tell you the purpose. Let me tell you what we're going for, and then I'm going to tell you a few things about how to do it. If you, if you rewind back before the prayer, go back to, to chapter 3, verse 10. Look at this. He says, his intent was that now, through the church, look at this, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, let me reveal to you. He says, it, the church, we live to reveal, to make known his great wisdom, to proclaim inclusion, to proclaim redemption of his people made possible through Jesus. And then you couple that with the end of the prayer where he says in verse 21, he says, and all of this is so that you give glory to God. So in short, he kind of sums all this up. Then in light of all of that, then I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And we stop right there and we go, Jason, hold up. This seems so big. I mean, how do we make known the wisdom of God? How do we share the redemption that was made possible through Jesus? How do we live a life that even comes close to displaying glory that is even close to being receivable by God? And thankfully, Paul describes this lifestyle as we continue on. As we walk through this, what I hope begins to happen, just like in the last few weeks as we begin to evaluate the strength that comes through that inner power, we begin to evaluate that love, we begin to, to understand and be looking for and aware of, of the fullness that can exist in my life. All of a sudden, I hope we continue in this. And, and what happens is either it begins or it continues to click that this would work. That this does work, it has worked, it will work, it is working to make a difference 
in the world that we live in. I hope that we begin to understand that what will change our world and what will change the world's perspective about this beautiful bride of Christ is not our debating. It's not leveraging power or control. He says, no, 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 it's something much, much simpler than all of that. And it's way less messy. He says, let me share with you what it is. Look at verse two, right after this. Then he says, let me live, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Look at this. Be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. And just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all in all. In all. He says, you want to live a life worthy of the calling. He says, pursue unity and peace. He says, you want to know what it's like to step into a life that is worthy of the call that you've been called with? He says, seek, keep unity. See, this whole concept of keeping is to stand guard over something. He says, stand guard over the unity. You're called to keep it. You're called to maintain it. Pursue the unity that's already been established by God through Jesus. And you go, but Jason, <laughs> look around, man. I don't see unity. I don't see peace. I mean, how can we keep something that doesn't seem to exist? Is this even possible with all the tension and chaos and division? I'm not sure about this. And here's the answer. We do our part and God will do his. But we have a role in this. He created it and he will continue to create opportunities for unity and peace. But it's our purpose. It's our call to step into those things. And I'm not sure the church always steps into those things. I'm not sure that we can be unified in order to be a unifying concept, to be a unifying force. And he says, listen, pursue it, keep it. He says, don't underestimate your role, your voice in this. And he goes on to kind of end the packaging of this. He says, all you need is the right tools and the right motivation. He says, let me give you the how and the why. Look back at verse two. See, the whole point of those six verses is to point us toward being unifiers, peacemakers. But look, he says, let me tell you how that's going to look. He says, here's how it looks. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. He says, be completely humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another in love. Guys, that in and of itself would change the landscape of how many things in our life. How many areas of our life would be completely transformed, completely flipped upside down, if we just stepped into being humble, that's not always have to be right. That my rightness doesn't supersede my relationship. I, I, I can be gentle, whether it's in person or vocally or understanding, and, and in those moments practice compassion, or whether I'm sitting behind a keyboard. He says, you, you want to know how to begin to unify, to be a keeper of unity? He says, be humble. He says, be, be kind. Be gentle. Be patient. Oh, man. If there's a shortage of anything, it's a shortage of patience. Am I right? Social media has destroyed us with our patient level. You got about three seconds or I'm about to put you on blast. He says, no, no, I'll practice patience. He says, bear with. That means that sometimes there are going to be people that rub you the wrong way. And there are going to be people that 
think things and say things and do things that you're not going to like. But he says, bear with one another. That means that you're going to have to kind of carry a burden and maintain gentleness and maintain patience and maintain humility while bearing with one another. How is this possible? Love. That's why he tells us about the love that's deep and long and wide and high. He says, remember those things. He says, that's how you're going to do it. He says, look, now let me give you the motivation. If you go to verse 4 through 6, he says, let me tell you why you need to do this. He says, you're going to do it how? By being humble, being gentle. He says, why? Verse 4, well, there's only one body, one spirit. It's just you were called to be one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father over all who is in all, through all. He says, we're called to be one because the Father is one. He says, The Father, Son, and Spirit work in unison. He says, God commands us to keep and strive and practice what he's demonstrated. And as we become more God-like, as we become more Christ-like, he says, you too, just as I work in unison, you strive to work in unison. Do this with a spirit of humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with. He says, stop working against yourself. He says, let me show you how it's done. Just as there is one one faith, one church, one God. He said, we too are to become one. Guys, if we just stop right there, I believe that this in and of itself would make for an appealing, authentic relationship that people would not only notice but would begin to crave. How many people do we know that fit in that category of saying, listen, I just, I'm kind of over it, been there, done that, or I, I, don't, I don't see any value in it. I'm not sure it's going to make a difference. What if we just begin to operate in the realm of unifying, in the realm of humility, in the realm of gentleness, in the realm of bearing with, in the realm of practicing that which God practices when we demonstrate unity to our people? But Paul says that's not really enough. He says, let me give you some more. He said that's enough, but he says, let me give you even some, uh, a step farther than this. If you read verse 7 through, through 13, listen to what he says. He says, let me give you another way that you can begin to step into and live into this life that's worthy. But to each one of us, grace has been given to Christ. Verse 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 10, he says in or verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God before and becoming mature, obtaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He says, you want to live into a life worthy? He says, serve. Serve people. Serve. Verse 8, he illustrates this picture of a, of a victory entry where gifts are given by the victor. Verse 12, he says, listen, God is giving. He is dispersed to you. And our job as equippers, as pastors, as teachers, is to equip you. Hey, I want to I make you aware of specific gifts for specific purposes. He has empowered you to have the capacity, and he has given you the gifts to serve people. And I want to stop a few of you right now because you're going, well, I don't have gifts and I can't. And I don't want you to know that that can't doesn't apply. He says, no, 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 no. You have been given gifts that are to be used to serve others. 
And I began to look again at, at, at trajectories, and I began to look at, at timelines. And, and what I've seen in my experience with churches is that failure is certain when those whom God has equipped neglect those gifts. When we begin to, as a body of people or individually, when we become more interested in being served than serving, that's when decline begins to happen. He says, no, no, listen, living a life worthy of the calling means that you're always putting out there in front of you opportunities to put in practice, to put in use these gifts that God has given you. So somewhere along the journey, he says, make serving a priority. He says, not only are you going to seek and keep and maintain the spirit of unity through the bond of peace, he says, you're going to do the next thing, and that is going to, you're going to serve people. And I think sometimes we forget that serving, guys, going to Gateway and serving those students at Field Day, that's a divine calling. It's not something we put together so that we can somehow tote Wellhouse's name out there and go, hey, we're here just to you know, make your life better at the moment. Please come to our church. No, those are divine callings. When we minister to people on the street, when I think of Home Street Home and how we're involved with that so often with home. When we, when we deliver those things, those are divine callings. When we dis distribute gifts at Christmas or whether we're painting fences for a widow or whether we're... Whether we're, we're, we're weeding rows of corn that will later sprout up to feed people in our community or whether we're helping people pick out groceries at the little pantry and I could go on and on. Those are divine callings, not busy work. It's not like a report card that we go, okay, God, did you know, like I, I logged four hours back here. Am I four hours closer to my reward? He says, no, you're just living into the life that I've called you to live and you do that by serving. And then he throws one final thing in there as we kind of wrap this up. He says, then, he says, you're no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here to there. Hear, hear that? He says, when you begin to put these things in practice, you become rooted. As individuals, and you become rooted collectively as a church, he says, you're not going to be just kind of blown back and forth. He says, you're becoming rooted. In verse 15, he says, look at this. He said, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every, respect, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, Christ. And from him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting limit grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. Here's what he says. You want to live into the calling? You want to live into the life that's worthy? He says, figure out, begin to navigate life, speaking truths in love. Guys, truth matters. And not only does truth matter, the way we deliver it, the way we present it matters. See, I think truth through the years has gotten a bad rap in part because of the way we delivered it. Not only does truth matter, the way we deliver it matters. And truth is not restrictive. Truth is freeing. Jesus said himself, he says, listen, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he goes on to say that when the, when the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Guys, the only slide I wanted to put up here today, because I know sometimes in our culture, when we get to this one, it comes to a screeching halt. Like that's where we can't go any farther. I want you to know that truth is not just information. 
It's revelation that leads to transformation. See, here's what truth does. And if you take away this truth, I'm afraid we take away the whole underpinning of this. He says truth establishes value. Truth allows for individuality. It's where you begin to understand that I am uniquely created and and you are uniquely known for who you are. Truth is inclusivity, not the other way around. And you say, well, hold up. It doesn't seem that way all the time. Let me just kind of run through a couple truths. When I begin to understand that there is one God, one creator, made up of a holy trinity of God the Father, Son, and Spirit, there is one way to God through Jesus, the Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father through him, and and, and Jesus is the cornerstone. You go, see, that doesn't sound inclusive at all, but watch how this unfolds. These are truths that he's talking about, speaking love. Because of Christ's death in our place that Zach talked about, get this, anyone and everyone suddenly had complete access complete and full access to the Father. He, through Jesus and through that, invited everyone for all of time to experience a deeply meaningful personal relationship. See, this is, truth has gotten a bad rap. And because of that, God has has adopted us as, and he calls us sons and daughters. And through Christ, we have been made perfect. That's truth. So when somebody comes and says, eh, but I'm not good enough, and, and you don't understand where I've come from, it doesn't matter. He says, through Jesus, you have been made perfect, and so therefore God sees you as holy. Yes, you, individually, unique, uniquely. He says, I don't care about your past. I don't care what color you are. I don't care about your financial situation. I don't care. He says, listen, because of Jesus, there is something now that has opened up. He says, this, the, the veil is torn away. All of a sudden, this is fully accessible. Because those, those are truths that will set people free. He goes on to say, let me give you a few more. He says, there's nothing that can separate you from this love. What if we carried out into our world the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of grace and tolerance, and and the spirit of just extending mercy the way God extends mercy? He says, listen, forgiveness is plentiful. Second chances, they never run out with me. And again, I'm not sure that's the truth that we have always revealed to people. Our leash is short. And God says, let it go. Live free. You can speak these truths into people's lives. He says there's nothing that can... I I don't know if we've always grasped this one. God is equal in his love. It doesn't matter, again, the pedigree, that God is equal in his love. Why? Because he created humankind in his image, and he says, so you should treat each other accordingly. Jesus encompasses this in in one command. He says, here it is, love God and love people. That's the truth. You see, truth is life-giving, and I could go on and on about lists of truths and, and things that matter in our lives, but the presentation matters. He says, truth is life-giving. Truth is for you not against you. 
Truth is not here to bind you. Truth is here to set you free. And we're called, he says, you want to step into a life that's worthy of the calling, he says, then be deliverers of truth and your attitude in which you do it matters. He says the goal in all of this is relationship. And by the way, you're going to do it with loving and serving the way we've talked about. But he said the goal is this, is to get in in positions where you have shown genuine, authentic love so that you can begin to reveal to people what matters most to you. And that is this, is that God's unwavering love loves them too. And so I pray that we become rooted and established whether that's individually, and as we begin to work on these things individually, we begin to collectively come together, and as a church, we live a life worthy of the calling in which we've been called. I'm out of time, so stand with me. Guys, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this, though, in all the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks, It comes down to this, that it's a calling. And it's something that you have to answer the call. You have to choose to live this way. And it starts with a single step every day. And so let me just ask you as we close this morning, as we close this series, what is your next step? Maybe for you, it's, it's giving your life to Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, you know what? I'm in need of a Savior, and so I surrender my will. I surrender my life. I, I surrender my desires. I surrender those things to you, and I'm going to step into a life where you are the centerpiece. You are the most important, and I'm going to follow your lead. And when I begin to follow his lead, like we've already talked about, it's not going to be a restrictive drag. It's going to be life-giving. It's going to be free. Maybe your next step is baptism. Hey, I need to publicly proclaim this new identity. I need to proclaim my faith in Jesus through baptism. And I want to let you know, we, we can do that anytime. We're going to have a baptism Sunday coming up at some point soon. But I'm going to tell you that maybe that's your next step. Maybe for you, it's just a renewed awareness. Where, where, where tomorrow or today, you wake up, you get woke, and you say, listen, today I choose to live a life that is worthy to the call that I have been called. I will choose to be a unifier in a world that's full of division, in a world that's full of hate, in a world that, that displays that like, like front page news. He says, no, no, I'm going to choose to be a unifier, a peacemaker. I'm going to choose to be humble when everybody else says I should be proud. I'm going to choose to be gentle. I'm going to choose to be patient. I'm going to choose to bear with people who get on my nerves. And think differently and look differently and act differently. Maybe today your next step is saying, listen, I need to begin to take the position of a servant more often. Serving those who I, cho- I come in contact with today. And here's the caveat. I'm going to choose to serve those who deserve and those who don't deserve. Maybe for you it's stepping into a conversation when the opportunity arises within a relationship to begin speaking life changing, transformational truths into the ones who love you and the ones you have shown love to so that you can begin to communicate to them that I know a God who loves me and who loves you too. Today, God, I will think differently. And just like verse 16 when he says, as each part does its work, today I will do my part. Guys, I have great hope for the church. 
I have great hope for the next generation. You inspire me. You give me hope. You've given me a renewed value. You have given me such a renewed sense of the importance of a church in our community. So in our time, in our place, we will continue to live a life worthy of the calling and become an answered prayer to a culture that is deeply searching for meaning, authenticity. 